Streets and sidewalks are still very dangerous to be on. The governor said we've had multiple deaths related to people slipping and falling on ice. He's asking you to please be careful if it is necessary to leave your home. He's also asking you to walk cautiously whenever you were outside. There are some scams that can be run only once. The right scammers meet the right suckers, and a situation presents itself. When well done, these scams are a work of art. Today we'll talk about three scams that were run only once. We begin in 1934. The Arctic was experiencing a heat wave. Peter McCaffrey didn't know it at the time, but it would turn out to be the greatest heat wave in Arctic history. That didn't matter to McCaffrey. He knew Arctic temperatures topping 34 degrees would be disruptive, and that created opportunities for scammers. He was about to sell ice to Eskimos. We'll be back after the break. This is John Brasher, Jr., the Kitchen Table Historian. Despite what the name might imply, this is not a podcast about food. At my table, I'm going to tell you the stories that your grandma didn't want you to hear. You'll be served tales of mass murder, family annihilators, and long-forgotten homicides, not to mention stories of ghosts, legends, and the paranormal. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and all of your other favorite podcatchers. So take a seat, make yourself comfortable. Do we have a story to tell you? The warm weather created a thin layer of water on exposed ice, Hospitals were overrun with cases of broken bones, sprains, concussions, and other injuries resulting from falls. At the time, McCaffrey was in San Francisco, where he read a newspaper story about a new fire extinguisher. The extinguisher contained carbon dioxide under pressure. When the pressure valve was opened, a cloud of cold air was released that robbed the fire of its heat. McAfee believed he could sell the Inuits non-slip ice to combat the dangerous conditions caused by melting ice. What McCaffrey was really doing was laying down a foundation of sand, then super-freezing the existing water on top of the ice. The effect would be temporary, but since dry ice had not yet made it to the Arctic, his invention seemed genuine. McCaffrey obtained a fleet of tanker trucks, filled them with pressurized CO2, and fitted the trucks with spray nozzles. He also acquired dump trucks that were loaded with sand. He hired drivers to take the trucks northward while he went ahead to demonstrate his product. He targeted the rich, convincing them that non-slip ice on driveways and sidewalks would delight their guests and demonstrate their power and wealth. McCaffrey sold factory owners portable non-slip ice machines that their trucks could use to guarantee delivery anywhere. Local fish processors rushed to make down payments on the machines to ensure the day's fresh catch quickly found its way to distributors. For the merchant class, he promoted non-slip ice as a way to draw customers safely into their stores. Stores without safe sidewalks would lose business. In some cases, McCaffrey offered exclusive agreements that cost more, but came with the promise that he would not sell to their competitors. 
The suckers eagerly spent tens of thousands of dollars to make sure they had the advantage. McCaffrey arranged for his trucks to arrive together, so customers' orders for non-slip ice were filled quickly. Within 24 hours, all jobs were completed, and the remainder of the payments were collected. He promised the portable machines would be delivered in six weeks, sooner if the buyers wanted to pay the full cost in advance. Most did. McCaffrey and his trucks then disappeared with the money. Within days, the dry ice evaporated, leaving a slushy mess and embarrassing the community's elites. McCaffrey thought he could run the scam in Europe, far away from American police, so he set sail for Scandinavia. He never did get to run his scam again, because during the cruise he fell ill and died. From Frostbite. General George Patton, old blood and guts, always rode shotgun. History is littered with photos of the general standing to the right of his driver in his famous Jeep. That famous Jeep became the property of a private collector who acquired it after World War II. But in 2020, he released it for auction by worldwide auctioneers. And one of the highlights of the auction is this Dodge WC57 purpose-built military vehicle. This was not just purpose-built for military use, it was purpose-built for General Patton and his command during World War II. Very historically significant, and this unit is powered by Dodge's very durable six-cylinder engine. Of course, it has some armor plating indicating uh, General Patton's command and him as he would be the one using this vehicle. Uh, there's many other features, including the machine gun. But Curtis Jones knew it was a fake. He knew it because another collector, this one from Britain, said he had the real Jeep and the papers to prove it. Jones was a World War II buff, focusing heavily on Patton. He was also quite wealthy, having earned huge sums from the sale of his family's unique rock candy recipe. Troops in the field used rock candy to sustain their energy. That heritage fueled Jones' interest in the war and its memorabilia. It was for that reason that Benjamin Hill approached Jones about buying Patton's Jeep. In America, another Jeep was said to be Patton's, but there was no authentication to prove it. Hill had proof, and the real Jeep. He took Jones to see the Dodge WC57, built just for Patton. Patton's Jeep was unique. In addition to the half-inch armor-plated floor and a 50 caliber machine gun, it had flags and high-volume horns. Of course, Hill's Jeep was a fake. Hill bought an old Jeep from a scrap dealer and did some touch-ups. He also forged documents from the shop that did the original modifications. Those included the serial number on Hill's Jeep. Jones practically drooled over the idea of owning Patton's Jeep and quickly agreed to pay $1.5 million for it. Hill closed the deal and left town before Jones could learn that his Jeep was a fake and that Patton's actual Jeep was sold at auction for $177,000, about $1.3 million less than he paid. Finally, we come to Clive Leffler, a truly talented con artist who enlisted Dr. Michael Shea to help run a scam. Shea was not a grifter, but he was a fast learner and had a thirst for money. Together, 
they convinced Marty Lewis that he was pregnant. Lewis was Dr. Shea's patient and the perfect sucker. He was a hypochondriac and struggled to become successful in life. During Lewis's next visit, Dr. Shea ran routine blood tests. The next day, he called Lewis and said he needed to come to the office the next day. Something unusual showed up in his blood test. Lewis was waiting at the door when Dr. Shea's office opened, and he was escorted into the doctor's private office where he heard the news. He was pregnant. How did it happen? Dr. Shea explained that he may have picked up a menstruating woman's egg in a bathroom, and it found its way into his penis where it was fertilized. Now, while Lewis was absorbing the news, Dr. Shea called Clive into the room and introduced him as a specialist, just not a medical specialist. Clive explained the pregnancy presented many opportunities that would make them all rich. He spoke of book deals, television interviews, and speaking engagements. There might even be a foundation that Lewis would lead and be paid a handsome salary. Lewis forgot about the details of the pregnancy, but he clearly understood the opportunity for money and fame. He signed up on the spot. Over months, Dr. Shea injected Lewis with estrogen which caused him to gain belly fat and breasts. Lewis knew the baby would be delivered by C-section, but cared about little else except the lucrative deals that Clive was putting together. At about eight and a half months, problems developed. The money had run out. Clive and Dr. Shea had personally invested all their money, even mortgaging their homes. It didn't bother them because they knew they would profit handsomely. They had spent tens of thousands of dollars on legal fees for contracts that would protect them from scammers. They said it was a lot to ask, but did Lewis have any money they could use to cross the finish line? Lewis had about $40,000, and he began asking friends and family for cash. He had told them about the pregnancy, but not about the business deals. He promised their investment would be returned, two or three times over. The family knew a winner when they saw one, so they had no problems investing. Some even mortgaged their homes. In a week, $150,000 was raised, along with Lewis's $40,000. Clive and Dr. Shea said they would get to work closing those deals. Clive said agreements had been made with reporters and TV networks for exclusive access to Lewis after the birth. It all needed to be coordinated to get the maximum publicity. The delivery was set for Thursday. Two days before, on March 30th, Clive and John hopped a bus to Pittsburgh, where they were to board a plane for Argentina on the 31st. And the plan would have worked if only Clive and Dr. Shea had not planned the birth for April 1st. April Fools! (laughs) I've just told you three stories. So are all the stories make-believe, or just the last one, or a combination? That's a puzzle, isn't it? Wouldn't you love to know the answer? Okay, here it is. Visit our Facebook page April 1, and I'll tell you. And while you're there, click on the button to follow us, and you'll pick up all kinds of tidbits about scams and cons currently underway. 
Oh, and don't be afraid to search online for an answer. Like any good con, there are elements of truth to it. Remember, April 1st at Are You The Mark on Facebook. A successful con seduces a sucker into a world where their dreams can come true. This magic casts a spell that leads its audience to anxiously hand over all their money to scammers, who vanish before the sucker realizes it was all an illusion. If you enjoy the podcast, please help us out by telling your friends and encouraging them to listen. Scams and Cons is available wherever podcasts are found and at scamsandcons.com. You can also follow us on Facebook. Just look for Scams and Cons. Lastly, we'd be grateful for a five-star rating wherever you're listening right now. It really does go a long way toward helping us build our audience. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Three AM, the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing four one one, night marchers, Operation Paperclip. Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters, it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. Let's go.